0: I want to turn to the book of 2 Corinthians, the first chapter today. Let's get this high enough for me to see my Bible. <laughs> well, it is a pleasure to be with you today. Um, you are our church. We always look back uh, at our time at Placerita as uh, just about our favorite time in any church. You're our church. We come and we pray for you guys. We ask you to pray for us, um, to think about us, to remember us, the the ministry that we have. Um, So it's just good to be here today. Well, in 2 Corinthians, we are being introduced to the Apostle Paul in somewhat of an intimate way, excuse me. Um, I'm going to have to admit to you right from the beginning, I have way too much message today. Um, I'm going to go through basically f- uh, four chapters. I, I tried to pick one portion out of this, but I couldn't. It was on my heart to share all of it with you. And so today I'm going to uh, I'm gonna run through this just very quickly with the time that I have. And, um, and so bear with me. It, it may seem like we're sprinting through this. But I want you to see seven or eight points today that I think, uh, from the heart of Paul, are so, um, right, so impactful, right, that that show us God's grace in in such a tremendous way that uh, so moved him and and can be so encouraging to us. And I know for me in my life, has been tremendously uh, encouraging uh, in the ministry that we've done in Utah. I'm trying to talk and do this at the same time. All right, here we go. So I want to talk to you this morning about the Apostle Paul. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And I want you to learn from him something about his heart. What is it in his life that motivated him so much right, that he would be willing to endure all the things that we know that he endured in his ministry, all the hardships, all the disappointments. Today, I want you to hear his own testimony about how he walked through all these things so that he could be as much an example to you as he has been to me. So pray with me, and we're just going to jump right into this text and, uh, and go through it. Father, I pray today that Uh, we would have a great sense of your grace, right, what it is you did in Paul's life to encourage him so much, Lord, that we would look at that and understand that even though he's an apostle and we're just believers in different ministries in life, that we have the same resources, the same grace that he had, Father, to do what you've called us to do in our life, in our ministries, so, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would teach us today, teach us what it means to put all our confidence in you, Lord, and to rely on your grace. I pray that in Christ's name, amen. So here in the book of 2 Corinthians, right in the first chapter, Paul, he just begins, and you know what he does? He, he, he's coming to this book, he has enemies, they're, uh, they're trying to stop the work that he's doing, And so what Paul does when he writes in this book, he just pours out his heart. He just pours out his heart to these people, right? And if I were to sum up what it is that he is uh, going to share with us today, it would just be this. God always remains faithful to his purposes. He always does The apostle Paul believed that without question. It was his strong conviction. Let me show you what I mean. Let's just drop into his life today. Chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. Here's Paul pouring out his heart to these people in the Corinthian church. He says, for we do not want you to be uh, unaware, brothers, of our affliction which came to us in Asia that we were burdened exceedingly, ex- excessively beyond our strength so that we despised even to live. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not have confidence in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Now, beloved, that means Paul, at this point in his life, no longer had the will to live. This is how difficult his ministry had become, I think by this point, he knew, he understood that these people who were against him would eventually kill him. But here's the right, here's where we get our first insight into Paul's heart, because it drove him to depend on God, didn't it? See what he says at the end of verse 9 he says, So that we would not have confidence in ourselves, but in God. In God. And, I wa- and, and what I want to show you is how it is that Paul did this, how he managed to have such great confidence in the Lord. Now, we'll need to move quickly. I'd mentioned that already. I'll do my best to pull it together. You do your best to stay up with me. I'll give you the texts that we are in, and then we will simply uh, look today at eight things. Eight things to show you the confidence that the Apostle Paul had in God. And the first thing that we want to see in chapter 2 beginning uh, around verse 14 is that God always leads us in triumph in Christ. He always leads us in triumph in Christ. That's Paul's first conviction. Look at verse 14, chapter 2. He says, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphant procession in Christ and manifests through us the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. This is Paul's big foundational statement, that God always leads us in triumphant procession in Christ. Now, what this envisions, right from this time, is a victorious Roman general, right, being having been awarded a triumph by the Roman sen- a Senate, and so he gets the celebration. He gets to march through the city of Rome with all the captives that he has won in his battles. Right, the crowd is cheering, throwing flowers, creating this fragrant aroma that rises as they pass. In front of him are his captured slaves, those he's going to let live, and those who follow him in the rear are those condemned to die. This is a Roman triumph. And beloved, this is a big picture of Christ. Christ's triumph, marching through history, victorious over all his enemies, right? Gathering them all together in his providential procession through all time, right? Those who are his, his slaves who he has saved out front, followed by all those he has conquered but not saved. Right, who would not bow the knee, destined to be judged and condemned, taking up the rear. Now Paul's thinking here about the sovereign redemptive plan of God. This is what he's thinking about, where Christ right, is triumph over everyone, those who live and those who die. And in the midst of this epic plan, Paul says, we're a fragrance of Christ. Chapter 2, verse 15. Every believer, right? And that fragrance is the gospel on our lips, isn't it? It's the gospel that we speak. Like the smell of those flowers crushed underfoot, filling the air. Right? Telling us this important truth that you need to hear. Right? That God uses us in his salvation plan in his redemptive plan. He works through us in the ministry of the gospel, he says, everywhere. And he always leads us in triumph in Christ, right? Whether people receive the gospel or not, some people want to receive it, some people simply want, need to be warned by it. See, and we can be confident. We can be as confident as the Apostle Paul was that God will accomplish all he sets out to do through us. Right? If we simply, it says, verse 17, speak God's word, right? If we speak his word with sincerity in his sight, in Christ, knowing that we have been commissioned by him. And so that's Paul's first great confidence is that god always leads in triumph in christ then he goes on he says this in chapter 3 verse 4 he says such confidence we have through christ toward god that uh, we are not that we are sufficient in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves but our sufficiency is from god who also made us sufficient as ministers of a new covenant Guys, this is Paul's second great confidence that our sufficiency is from God. Our ability to be part of his redemptive plan comes from him. He makes us sufficient ministers, right? Paul says of a new covenant, of a new covenant based not on the letter of the law, but in the power of the Spirit. And so God makes us ministers and empowers us just as he did the Apostle Paul. He fills ourselves with his spirit and moves us not based on our abilities, our personality, but because of the regenerating, empowering, new life-giving presence of God's spirit within us. That was a new covenant promise, wasn't it? His spirit would be poured out. And beloved, if you are a new covenant believer in Christ, you have been filled with a spirit who makes you sufficient, makes you adequate, abundantly prepared for the work God calls you to do as ministers of that covenant. Right? As the pleasing aroma of Christ. Spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. You see, that was, Paul, that was the Apostle Paul's second great confidence. Our sufficiency is from God. We simply need to be ready to speak up. Here's the third. The third great confidence. We are being transformed into the image of God's Son. Chapter 3, beginning in verse uh, 7 through 18. Paul now is continuing. He's talking into the third chapter, speaking about this new covenant, the glory of the new covenant compared to the old covenant, compared to the law, the Mosaic law. That the new covenant is far greater because it offers righteousness where the law only brought condemnation, verse 9 that it also outshines the old because it, it fulfills and surpasses it in verse 10. That it, right, uh, that, that um, taking what is temporary and replacing it with something permanent and eternal in verse 11. That this new covenant lifts the veil of unbelief and sets us free from the power of sin. Something the old covenant could never do. We see that in verse 16 and 17. And so we ask the question, how does it do that? How does it manage to do that? Verse 18 says this, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Beloved, this is how the spirit changes us from the inside out from one degree to another into the image of Christ, bit by bit. And it happens as we, it says, behold the glory of the Lord by looking at Christ's glory. Every time we open our Bibles, God opens our right the eyes of our heart to see his glory. And to be satisfied with it and to want it even more and more and more in our lives. And then he begins to change us. God changes us by that same glory. See, this is where Paul's hope, this is where his boldness comes from, this new covenant. Paul's third great confidence was that god's spirit is at work changing hearts of stone right into hearts of flesh giving new life causing people to walk in his statutes man what a what an encouragement for paul and maybe for you and i in the circumstances we might be to press on here's a fourth confidence forth is that God has shown in us the light of the gospel chapter 4 verses 1 through 6 and so now Paul takes a minute right to tell us the gospel is God's message in chapter 4 verse 1 that the new covenant message is his message And he's the one who opens eyes to believe, verses 2 and 3. So if you believe, it's God who does that because salvation is a divine miracle, a sovereign work of God. See, our job is to be faithful to proclaim it, but only God can save a soul, right? We know that. Only his spirit can give new life. And so when Paul says this, In chapter 4, verse 4, when he says this, he says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the likeness of God. We have to ask ourselves, what was God's response? How did God respond to that? His response was this in verse 6. His response was, For it is the God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And so God's response is to put the light of the gospel into us. Into us. Right? We can't save anybody. We can't make the miracle happen, but God uses us. In that miracle, he uses us. This is how Paul under this is how he talks about it. This is why he was so confident. It's Jesus who gives light to the blind. He lifts the veil, but he's doing it through us. Right? Whenever we bring the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus to them. That was Paul's fourth great confidence. Here's his fifth. His fifth is that the power is from God and not from us. It's God's power and Paul says something quite profound to show us why the gospel ministry always seems to be so hard. Listen to this, chapter 4, verse 7. He says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. That's helpful, isn't it? I find that very helpful because. We know, we know how weak we are. We don't always show everybody else, but we know ourselves. And so here's what's so profound about it. This teaches us that powerful ministry, that powerful ministry happens when we humbly embrace our weakness. Beloved, we're we're the earthen vessels, right? We're the simple clay vessels, but we carry a divine treasure, don't we, right? That light, that gospel, that new covenant message, and the only way to see that manifest is, right, is when we're willing to endure suffering for Christ's sake, isn't that what verse chapter 4 verse 11 says? We who are all we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus sake. Here's the principle. Here's the principle of this. Powerful ministry happens when we're willing to die to ourselves. That's what this is saying. It happens when we learn to die to ourselves. There is a cost in serving God. We have to sacrifice. And we indeed are afflicted in doing so. But listen, what this verse tells us, this section tells us, is that God sustains us. He always sustains us, no matter how bad it seems to get. And through the suffering... Right? We see the life of Christ in us flowing right from us to the lives of other people. That's what he means, verse 12. So death is at work in us, but life in you. That's Paul's fifth conviction, right? that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Here's the sixth. And I know, I forgot to use this overhead. Oh, thank you. Who's doing that? <laughs> that is so cool. That's so cool. All this, I, this is like, I stand in front of a simple podium at, at my church. All these buttons and Bells and whistles really intimidate me. <laughs> All right, here's the sixth. Paul's sixth conviction was this, right? That our inner man is being renewed day by day. That we are being renewed day by day. And so if we should have to suffer If we should even maybe have to die for preaching the gospel, Paul says this. He says, we speak knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us into his presence. You see, that belief, that belief of Paul's helped keep him at it. It helped him keep at it, right? Even when he might despair even to live, it says, he says. Because someone needs to bring that gospel message to these people. Someone needs to do that. This was Paul's perspective. He said, therefore, we do not lose heart. Chapter 4, verse 16. We do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is working out for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comprehension this was his sixth great conviction that our inner man was being renewed it was be renewed day by day every morning you had a new opportunity right if you confessed your sins and started again you got a new start Every day, every day is a new opportunity, listen, to find God's strength. To find his strength, right? Because it's our physical trials in life that lead you to spiritual strength. They lead to spiritual growth. Beloved, that was Paul's secret to his endurance. You've got to know this, right? He focused on his inner man, not his outer man. He looked at the spiritual, not the physical. He lived for the power of the Spirit in his life. He lived for the souls of men. You could only do that with God's help, with his power, with his enabling. And so his secret was to look to the future glory, not the present pain. To give his life to what, right, what will never perish, ever increasing spiritual strength. This was his sixth great conviction conviction that our inner man was being renewed day by day. Here's the seventh that it is God who gives us his spirit as a guarantee. God gives his spirit as a guarantee. Now, Paul never doubted his future reward. In fact, I, when, when, as I read Paul, I think he anticipated it, right? But he knew, he knew there was still more, to, right, to do in this life, as hard as it was for him to continue, right? Look what he says chapter 5 verse 4 he says For indeed while we were in this tent we groaned being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed but to be clothed so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life and i think that means eternal life right by life now he who uh, prepared us for this very purpose is god god prepared us who gave us the spirit As a pledge, as a pledge or as a guarantee. Now Paul always knew God's ultimate purpose for his life. He knew it, right, to finally in his own life be glorified, to finally be made like Christ. That's God's ultimate purpose for all of us, right, as individual believers, to be like Christ, To give us resurrection bodies with a redeemed spirit. That his spirit is, right, our down payment on this. Our first installment, our guarantee that this will happen. Every believer has the spirit, so every believer has this guarantee the indwelling spirit to teach and guide and enable us to fulfill God's purposes in this life and in the next. This was another of Paul's great convictions that God gave his spirit as a pledge or as a guarantee, right? That we would have the opportunity to fulfill his purposes, And then one final conviction, right? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Chapter 5 being in verse 11. Paul is finishing this, right, this defense of himself, which really is just sort of, right, opening himself up and showing people that, boy, this is how I live by the grace of God. I depend so much on God's grace. And so he says this in chapter 5, verse 11. He says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. I love this. I think this points to the power of God manifest in all these gracious elements right, elements that he's put into Paul's life, real power, not his own, God's power, but Paul, right, knew his responsibility then to use it, right? In his honor and his respect and his fear of God, he knew his responsibility. And he does it, he says, knowing the fear of the Lord, and then he adds this element a couple verses down. Verse 14 says, Also for the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live would no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Right? What controlled Paul's life? was the love that God had showed him in Christ on that cross when, he, when Christ redeemed him from his sin and his eternal damnation. Paul saw that as an ultimate act of God's love. Right, a love that took control of his life because he knew, right, he was to be an instrument to take the message of that same love to everyone else, right, that he could possibly reach. Right, that... One has died for all, all, he says, therefore all have died. You see it there in verse 14, right? This is a reference to Christ's substitutional death on the cross. He died in our place for us. For us. This is the manifestation of Christ's love that compelled Paul's life, that energized his convictions, the gospel message. The very one that he preached. So that all who have died in Christ, it says, would no longer live for themselves but for him. Paul took that at his, as his own command on his own life. And then he finishes with this Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things passed away, behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God. They're from God who reconciled us to himself, through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So what new things is he talking about? Right? Many, but how about this? Right? That God always leads us triumph in Christ. How about this? Our sufficiency is from God. Right, Or that we are being transformed into the image of his son. That God has shown in us the light of the gospel. That the power is from him and not of us. That our inner man is being renewed day by day. And God gives us his spirit as a guarantee of his purposes in our life. And so if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. And then he finishes, and I'll finish with this, he says. And if you're a new creation, you are also an ambassador for Christ. God making his appeal through you, he says, through you. And what is his appeal? Paul makes it right here. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen? Father, oh Lord, we've gone through this so quickly, I know. But I think we get the point, Lord, this is all of you, right? We gain our strength, we gain our confidence, we we are motivated uh, Lord, by your grace, it's nothing in us. There's nothing in us. All we are is weakness and more weakness. But, Father, when we honestly admit that and lean utterly into you, on you, on your spirit, to help us through the Word of God, right? To speak, to speak the gospel, just to speak up and start, Lord. Uh, you prove all these things that are true of us as new creatures in Christ. Oh, thank you, Lord. Father, motivate us the same way you did, Paul. Give us these strong convictions, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.